Now let's turn to Romans 7, and we'll continue our studies in the book of Romans. Uh, The book of Romans, as we've said over and over again, is a book that contains the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that we're all very, very sinful. We really uh, do not have any potential for impressing God with our goodness. Paul makes that very, very clear. That's the bad news. But the good news is that our Lord has done something about our sin. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. The death that he died was the death that we should have died. He died in our place. And so sin, in all of its aspects, all of its implications, all of its complications, all of its consequences, were paid for in the cross. We do not need to feel guilty about our past sin, nor do we need to dread the future and the possibility of losing our salvation, failing to gain heaven because of sin, because our Lord paid the price totally, fully, wholly for our sin. Now, uh, Paul rings the changes on that truth through the first five chapters of Romans. And then he begins to talk about uh, the way we as Christians relate to sin in our life. If we have been freed from sin, if we have been forgiven, then how should we look at sin, particularly recurring sin, that, uh, that takes place in our life? What, what should we do? Well, there are two wrong ways of looking at sin. One is simply to let the flesh have its fling, to go for all the gusto, uh, to say, well, I, I am forgiven, therefore I can do what I please. Uh, I, I will be forgiven. It's God's job to forgive me. I can go on and sin uh, recklessly and, and uh, without any fear of, of consequences. Now, Paul argues in Romans 6 that we can't do that because we're dead to that old lifestyle of, of sin. We know that. There's been a change of character. There's been a change in our hearts. We've been granted the nature of Christ. We've opened a new book, the A.D. book of our life, and we cannot go back and indulge the flesh uh, any longer. That's part of the old life that's been put away in uh, in Christ. Uh, the, uh, the other problem with indulging the flesh is that we become enslaved to sin. We, we well know what happens. We begin to temporize with sin. We think we can play with it a little bit. And then after a while, it, it gets us. We find ourselves plunging deeper and deeper into sin. Now, that's Paul's concern in Romans 6. We cannot go on sinning because we're dead to that lifestyle. And secondly, we know uh, how quickly sin will, will entrap us, ensnare us, and lead us on into what Paul calls death. That is uh, uh, discouragement, despair, uh, depression, all the existential manifestations of death uh, in our life. We, we just want to give up. There's nothing worth living for after a while. So Paul says we should not indulge the flesh. Well, the other wrong way of dealing with sin is to lay the law on it. To begin to legislate against it, to make up our mind that we're not going to sin anymore. Uh, sometimes uh, we may take a trip to a con- uh, conference and someone tells us that there are ten ways to deal with the flesh. And so we decide all we have to do is to come back and apply those ten ways and we'll no longer lose our temper. Well, uh, what Paul tells us in Romans 7 is that the law is good. Whether it's Moses' law or someone else's way of dealing with sin in our life, uh, it's good. 
the, the law, he says, with reference to Moses' law, is holy and just and true. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem, he says, is with the material that it has to work with. The spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. Our human nature simply cannot respond to the demands of the law. Uh, and, and furthermore, to try to use the law to correct our lives in that way is to, is to improperly use it. The law was never given as an instrument to change our lives. All the law can do is put its finger on sin. It can tell us what sin is, and it can tell us how sinful that sin is. As Paul said, I didn't even know that covetousness was sin until the Bible pointed it out to me. Uh, it, it can tell us what sin is. But it can't change us. All it can do is condemn us. And as a matter of fact, as Paul puts it, what the law ends up doing is stirring up sin in us, making us want to sin. That's the irony of legalism. Uh, it doesn't quell sin. It arouses it. It makes us want to do evil things. I, I uh, When we lived in Dallas... Carolyn and I got to know a, a couple real well. We spent a lot of time with him. Uh, I, I was in seminary at the time, and he was a medical student. And uh, uh, we, we had a lot of things in common, and we got to be very good friends with him. But, but there was one, one element of their life that I never could come to terms with, and that was their cat. Uh, I, I, I don't dislike cats. I'm not particularly fond of cats, but I don't dislike them. But I, there's some... That cat and I never got along. Uh, and I still have not figured out what I ever did to anger that cat. I remember one time, uh, it was a big Siamese, Tom, big, big cat. And uh, he was sitting in a chair I wanted to sit in, so I just kind of shoved him off on the floor. And that was the beginning of our animosity. He looked at me with those yellow eyes, and he never forgave me for that indignity. And I'm not joking. Carolyn can substantiate that. That cat used to stalk me. We'd go over to Jack's house, and I would see that cat slipping around the the, uh, the sofa, and 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 he would wait until I looked away, and then he would charge, and he would bite me on the ankle. I mean, that happened over and over again. And, of course, my reaction uh, just further antagonized the cat. I would grab him by the scruff of the neck and shake him, and, you know, and we just had this ongoing animosity we could never make up. I tried to be friends with that cat. He hated me. And the odd thing was, the cat was really a very docile cat. Any other time you'd walk in the house, anybody could walk in the house, the cat would just lie there. I'd walk in the house and the cat would just, you know, he'd just go after me. And the, 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 the final indignity uh, was one, one day when I walked uh, onto the back porch of, of Jack and Pat's house. Carolyn was with me. And they had their refrigerator on the back porch and they had coils on the top. And the cat was hiding around behind the coils and he had it all figured out. He was right at eye level. And when I walked in the door, I didn't see the cat. Carolyn did, and she yelled. She saved my life. That cat made a swipe right at my nose as I walked by. And had I not ducked, he would have taken it off. It would look even worse than it does now. That cat hated me. Every time I walked in the house, that cat went for me. And that's exactly what happens when we're confronted with the law. The law just arouses sin in us. And it becomes our enemy. We, we try to confront it directly, and it overwhelms us. Now, uh, this is the issue that Paul is dealing with in chapter 7, and he continues in verse 14 to uh, elaborate on that, 
on that theme, the theme of our relationship to the law. Let me read for you verses 14 through 25. We know that the law is spiritual. That is, it is good and holy and just and true. It is from the Spirit. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, he explains himself in that phrase. I am unspiritual, i.e., that is, I am sold as a slave to sin. Paul had a problem with sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Which is evidence to me that Paul played golf. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law, Paul means principle, this principle at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Now uh, this particular section of Romans has occasioned a lot of controversy. This is where the theologians mix it up. And uh, hundreds of pages have been written about uh, this particular section of, of Romans. The question is this, is Paul talking about his own experience or is he talking about someone else's experience? The other question, is Paul talking about his pre-Christian experience? In other words, is this the way he was as an unregenerate man? Or is he talking about his experience after conversion? Now, I'm going to leave the details of this uh, uh, controversy up to the big boys. I, you know, I'm sort of out of my field in, 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 in tackling this problem. But there are several things that occur to me as I read through this passage. It is clearly autobiographical, very much autobiographical. Paul uses I all the way through there. So I, I think he's talking about himself, not talking about every man or any man or anyone other than himself. He's talking about himself. The second thing that occurs to me is that he uses the present tense all the way through. All the verbs are in the present tense. He's talking about his present Experience. Now, I think if Paul were talking about his pre-Christian experience, he would say so. He would say, I was this way. The third thing I would say, and then this comes through loud and clear, is that Paul has a deep love for God and a deep love for his word. 
And this doesn't sound like someone's pre-Christian experience. He's talking about the way he is, the way he feels about God, and the way he feels about his word, and the way he feels about his law, his will. Now, the fourth thing, and this is not the strongest uh, uh, point that I want to make, but I just have to say that what Paul describes here is in accord with my experience. And I may disappoint some of you because I, I know preachers are paid to be good. I mean, you can be good for nothing. I have to, you know, they pay me to be good. See? But I find this is true to my experience. I mean, Paul speaks my language. He's right down my alley. He's talking about me. I, I have a deep love for God and a desire to do his will. But I find myself doing things I don't want to do. And I find myself not doing things that I know I should do. Now, how many of you feel that way? Oh, good, I'm not alone. <clears throat> I was real concerned about that all week. Now, now, listen to what Paul says. This is amazing. We know the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. That's an apostle speaking. Of all the people in the world that ought to be spiritual, it ought to be an apostle. Someone especially chosen by God for, for a task. And yet he says, I'm an unspiritual man. What does he mean? Well, it doesn't mean that he's unconcerned about spiritual things. He, he tells us what he means. The very next phrase uh, explains the, his, his lack of spirituality. I'm sold as a slave to sin. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul had habits in his life that he couldn't conquer. Paul would lose his temper with people. Paul had problems at times telling the truth. Paul had problems with lust. Paul wanted to pick up a piece of pornography, perhaps. We don't know what went through his mind, but, but Paul felt himself from time to time in, enslaved by, by sin. Now, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel very good to know that there are other people that, 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 that struggle with sin in their life. I, I, I don't feel gleeful about it. I just realize that, that I'm not alone. Unfortunately, one of the banes, I think, of, of the biblical church movement is this what, what Ray Stedman used to call a conspiracy of silence. We, we've agreed that we're not going to talk about our sin. We're not going to admit it. And so we hide behind a facade. We try to act as though we're doing well and inside we're dying. We're having problems in our home. We're, having, we're struggling with compulsive behaviors. All sorts of things going on down inside and, and within the four walls of our home that we will never talk about outside. And as a matter of fact, we come off as, as together. And everybody else thinks that they're the only one that's struggling with problems. Paul says, I am a very unspiritual man. Actually, the word he, he uses is, I'm composed of flesh. I, you know, I, I, I just, I'm not spiritual. I, I'm, I'm from time to time enslaved by sin. And it just comforts me to know that, that there are people, even people like the Apostle Paul, that, that are struggling with sin in their lives. As the hymn writer puts it, those who fain would serve him best are conscious most of sin within. I think Paul would say that. He had such a heart for God, and yet he was so conscious of his, of his sin within. 
Now, there are two problems that Paul brings to our attention here, both of them stated in verse, uh, well, in verses 15 and 16. Paul says, I don't understand myself. I, I, I perplex myself. I embarrass myself. I do things that I don't understand, and I, I can't get a handle on this thing. What I want to do, I do not do. Those are, that, those are sins of omission. There are all sorts of things, Paul says, that I want to do. I want to spend more time in the Word. I want to invest more of my time in prayer. I want to be a more courageous and bold witness for Christ. I want to be more caring and loving. I want to be a less private individual. I want to be more open. I want to be more compassionate. He says, but when I try to do it, 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 I find myself unable to do it. I want to, he says, but I don't do it. And uh, the flip side of the coin is what I hate I do. These are sins of commission. I don't want to gossip about people, Paul says, but here I am in a group and someone comes up with a juicy piece of information about someone that I dislike anyway and I just find myself falling right into it and it feels so good. I don't want to be bitter and resentful and unforgiving, but, you know, it it's, kind of feels good to be resentful when someone has wronged you. I don't like to dwell on that. And, and, and this troubles Paul. He says, I know I shouldn't be doing those things, but I, but I do them. I don't understand it. Um, those of you that are scientists, and, and if you've taken a science course in, in school, physics course, you, you know about the law of inertia. That bodies in motion tend to stay in motion, and bodies at rest tend to stay at rest, and struck me as I read through verses 15 and 16, that, that's the law of inertia written uh, in terms of moral uh, qualities. That, that when we're at rest, it, it's hard to get going. There's that initial inertia you know, to, to, to get up and get going, get yourself moving. We, we know we ought to serve, but oh, it's so hard to get up and do it. And then the other problem is that bodies in motion tend to stay in motion when we're sinning. It's, it's very difficult to stop. That's what Paul is talking about. Now he elaborates in verses 16 uh, through, through 19. And let me read through it again just so that you understand Paul's dilemma. He actually takes the, the second problem that he describes in verse uh, 15 first. If I do what I do not want to do, these are sins of commission that he's talking about. If I'm doing what I know is wrong, I agree that the law is good. Now, that's a mark of Paul's conversion. Paul says, down deep inside, I not only know God's law, I want to do it. I agree that it's good. And the very fact that I find myself uh, not doing certain things that I know I ought to do underscores in my mind that... you know, it bothers me when I don't do them. I'm, I, I believe those ideas are absolute. The, I, I'm committed to the truth. I really want to do what's right, Paul says. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now he introduces an interesting element. It's hard to sort Paul's thoughts out here. Hard to know what I he's talking about at times. But this seems to be what he's saying. The real me knows that, that, that God's law is good. 
And the real me wants to do it, but I find this uh, alien living within me. There's an alien intruder. Remember the, the movie or the book, Alien? This alien came to live in this person's body. A horrific uh, story. But that's what Paul is saying. I've got this alien living inside me. Sin lives in my body. And Paul says, every time I want to do something, this alien intrudes. A little bell, alien intruder, alien intruder goes off, you know. And and Paul says, this isn't really me, but yet it's in me. Sort of struggles to explain it. What's the real Paul? The real Paul wants to do what's right. But what happens? The minute he wants to do something right, this this intruder takes over and he ends up doing something wrong. Where is this intruder? Well, he identifies it with himself. He says, it's in me. He never identifies it as himself, but he says, it's in me. It's in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, and he has to qualify it because he stops to think, well, now wait a minute. It's true that Christ is living in me, but in my sinful nature... That is, in, in my humanity, my basic humanity apart from Christ, there's nothing good in there. Now, I, as I said a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot of emphasis today on making people feel good about themselves. And someone reads a line like this, and that makes you feel very bad about yourself. But I don't think we're supposed to feel good about, what, what, about the sinful part of us that's living inside. We feel very good about our identification with Christ and the fact that our names are written in heaven and that we're loved, greatly loved, and highly esteemed by God. But I don't think we ought to feel very good about our sinful nature because it is rotten to the core. As I said last week, it's a piggy nature. And and pigs will act according to their nature. It wants to run to the to the mud pile, mud hole, you see. And, and Paul says, there's this part of me that's very good. It really wants to do what God wants. But there's this other part of me that's always getting me in trouble. And it is rotten. It is despicable. I hate it, he says. For I, he goes on, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. Paul says there is this dynamic down inside, quietly, insidiously working away. He says, I'm not even aware of it until I decide I'm going to do something good. I decide uh, as a result of uh, the new year that I'm going to uh, read through the... the, uh, the uh, uh, year-long Bible that we're selling. I'm going to do that. And uh, we, we set our alarm the first morning at 5.30, and we get up and we read. And we might do that for two or three days, and then we get, get home some night late, and we don't set the alarm, and we don't get up. And then weeks go by, and we're not spending any time w- w- with the Lord, and we know that so- something's gone wrong. What is it? Uh, I have a, those of you who know me know I have a blazer. And a blazer has a design deficiency. I, if there are any Chevy dealers in, in the audience, I apologize. Actually, there are, but I, uh, I, you know I like my Chevy. And uh, uh, there's a, defi- a design deficiency in there. The, the head pipe uh, doesn't quite mesh with the manifold. 
there, there's no uh, gasket or anything in there. And when you fire up a blazer in the morning, particularly one of the older ones, it takes a while for the two metal pieces to seat, and the thing sounds like a tractor when you fire it up. It sounds like one of these monster trucks over here at the pavilion. Vroom, vroom, vroom. You know, small children go running to hide behind their, their mother's skirts and things. I mean, it sounds horrible. Wakes up everybody in the neighborhood until it warms up, see? Now, I'm going home to see my father uh, this week, going back Wednesday morning, spend three or four days with him. He owns a Lincoln Continental. He can't drive it anymore. It sits in the garage, and I'm pretty sure I'll be driving it while, I, while I'm there. And I'm kind of looking forward to it. I mean, that is a nifty car. You uh, push the button, you know, and the windows come up, and you're just hermetically sealed in this environment. Ooh, the leather smells so good, you know. I never get to drive a car like that. And you start the engine, and you can't even hear it. You don't even know when it's idling. You, uh, in fact, oh, every once in a while, I'll actually turn, uh, accidentally turn the, uh, the switch on trying to start it. And there'll be this horrible grating sound, and my father will say, it's already running. <laughs> can't even hear it. And, and when you push on the accelerator, vroom, away it goes. Now, that's, a, that's a, an illustration of the dynamic within. It's running all the time. You don't even hear it. You aren't even aware of it. You don't even know it's there until you decide to do something good, and vroom, it takes you in the opposite direction. You see. Now, that's what Paul is saying. There's this uh, evil principle within sin in me, this alien uh, intruder that I have to reckon with. Sin is at work within my members. Now, the other side of the dilemma is given to us in verses 21 uh, and following. So I find this, uh, this law, this principle at work, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. That's uh, something of a summary of the paragraph precedes. It brings it uh, down to this basic principle when... this uh, desire to do what's right. For in my inner being, I delight in God's world law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Now, I don't know if you felt that this past week, but I have from time to time. What a turkey, you know, I am. What a wretched man I am. Uh, and I'm sure that's your experience. You know, for example, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens all the time. This, this is not my problem, but it might be yours. I've, I've got my own set of problems. Uh, you, know, you, you become a Christian, and uh, uh, you, you come to see that, that smoking pot is not right for a Christian. You've been smoking it for 10 years. And uh, you become a believer and, and you realize, I, I can't go on doing this. First place, it's illegal. It's against the law. That in itself is a violation of Scripture. Secondly, it's very demotiv- demotivating. You know that. It just drains all the, the initiative out of you. Uh, it's expensive. It costs you a lot of bucks over the long haul. And it tends to be a cop-out. You know, it's, it's an alternative to facing life the way it is. Instead of counting on God, you, you know, you just light up a joint. It makes you feel real good about yourself and real good about life. And it's living in a world of illusion. So you say, okay, I'm going to quit smoking pot. 
and you make whatever decisions you have to make. You decide you're going to cut yourself off from certain friends. And, and so you, you vow. You make this mighty vow. I'm through. I'm through with this stuff. And one of, one of your old buddies shows up that you've been smoking dope with, you know, and, and he, he, he pulls out a joint, hands it to you, and you succumb just like that. And, and you say to yourself, what a wretched man I am. You walk away guilty, just feel awful. Now, see, that's, that's the place to which we come. What, what a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me, Paul says, from this, this body of death? A poignant, uh, pregnant phrase, this body of death. What does Paul mean? Uh, well, he's talking about death at work in my body. That's all. The, the defeat, the discouragement, the guilt, the failure, the disease of sin itself at work in my body. That's the problem. Sin is in our body. We, we inherited the stuff from our parents. I, I have, uh, this is probably a surprise to a lot of you because I always seem very placid when I'm up front. I hardly ever lose my temper up here in the pulpit. But I am a very high-tempered person. All my life I've been high-tempered. And it got me in a lot of trouble as a kid. And I know exactly where I got it. I got it from my father. Because he's just as high-tempered as I am. See? It's in my body. It's in the gene structure. I can't get it out. It's in the members of my body. Jesus recognized that when he, in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about the fact that we need to cut off our hands or pluck out our eyes. He's not, uh, he doesn't mean that literally. He's speaking uh, metaphorically. We need to deal with the members of our body that lead us into sin. That's what he's saying. And that's the conclusion that, that we come to uh, apart from the information that Paul is going to impart. I'm going to have to live for the rest of my life with this, with this terrible state of being. Over here is the will to do what's right, and over here is sin in my body that keeps emerging at the most inopportune times and enslaving me and leading me on and, and ruining my life and ruining my relationships, my relationship with my wife, my husband, my children, my business associates. I'm never going to get on top of this thing. What misery, wretched man that I am, he says. And then in the very next, uh, uh, very next uh, breath, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not even a sentence. His secretary, I'm sure, said, oh, Paul, what, what? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, not even a sentence, Paul. I don't care. Write it down. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It, it's, it's just a... An ejaculation of praise. Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he's going to tell us what, what, on what basis he can thank God in chapter 8. And uh, unfortunately, we're not going to talk about chapter 8 today, so you're going to have to go home and, with misery and, and gloom and, and no possibility of victory this week. No, that's not true. I, I, I want to tell you a little bit about the direction that that Paul is going. I don't want to steal any thunder from chapter 8, but neither do I want to leave you in despair. I want you to listen to what Paul says. So then, 
And, and, and many people have wondered, why does Paul end with this note? It's a downer, seems to be. Now listen. Paul says, so then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. What does he mean? Does he mean I'm going to have to go on living with this tension and never dealing with it? No, he's saying that the warfare is going to continue. There will always be a struggle between what he calls the law of my mind, that is this hunger for goodness, and the law of the flesh, which is sin in our human nature, which from time to time engulfs us and enslaves us. That struggle will always be there. There will always be conflict. If you think God is going to carry you to heaven on a flowery bed of ease, you do not understand. There will be hurt, and there will be pain, and there will be struggle. This is my biggest quarrel with the so-called success theology. God does not promise that we will be successful financially. He does not promise that every sin will be eradicated from our body in this life. He doesn't promise that. What he promises is that some of us will have a rough road to hoe. But in the end, there will be victory in Christ Jesus. Now let me give you a little thumbnail sketch of Romans 8. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from that, that section. But I want to tell you what, what Paul says in terms of the triumph that we have in Christ. The first thing Paul is going to talk about is this whole process of sanctification, how the Lord begins to, begins to deal with sin in our, in, in, in our life. And it's not dealt with by laying the law upon it. There's another way to do it. Paul says in, in verse 4, or let's back up to verse 3, what the law is powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin and sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And I'll leave that for, for explanation next week. I just simply want to say this, that in some mysterious way, which I cannot fully explain, when we set our mind upon the things of God, when we decide to count upon the living uh, upon the life of Christ within us, little by little, our Lord begins to, he begins to change us. You, you know how it is, if you hang around someone long enough, you begin to act like they do. People always tease me because I have so many of Ray Steadman's mannerisms, the way I gesture and so forth. I didn't do that consciously. You know, I didn't watch him for 18 years and decide I'm going to gesture like this. I just picked it up. Just picked it up. And uh, that's what happens to us. We begin to pick up the characteristics of our Lord as, as we walk with him. We begin to be a little bit more like him. Never completely like him. As, as Francis Schaeffer says, there will be substantial healing, not complete healing. God may not heal our bodies physically. He may or he may not. He may not heal our psychological ills completely. He may, but he may not. Some of us have been given tough machines to drive. They're, they're hard. They're hard. God knows that. And there will be some change along the way. Maybe not complete change, but there will be some change. The important thing, as Paul will say in Romans 8, is that we have to set our mind on the Spirit. We have to yearn for it. We have to long for it. We have to want it. Uh, I heard a story just this last week about a man that came in to talk to a friend of his about 
the struggle within. He said, I sometimes feel that there are two gigantic horses inside me, one pulling in one direction and one pulling in the other. And his friend said, which one's winning? And he says, the one I say giddy up to. And that's what Paul is saying. That when we say giddy up to the mind of the Spirit, when, when we keep saying, Lord, change me, change me, change me, we focus on God's goodness and what he wants, and we begin to ask him to change, he begins to change us a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Someone asked Pablo Casals, the, the great celloist, why he continues to practice. Because I think I'm getting a little better. And, and you know, as I, I look at my temper and I, uh, you know, I said, well, okay, all right. And I did. I got really mad at someone last week. I got real mad. But then there was another time when, when I was tempted to get mad and, and I didn't. So, I, well, I think I'm getting a little better. Temper's still there. Embarrasses me every once in a while. But I think I'm doing a little better. See? That's the process of sanctification. Now, the other thing that Paul is going to tell us in Romans 8, and we have to wait for two weeks to get into that, that issue, uh, is uh, that we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Look right across the page. At least it's across the page in my Bible. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wake eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of of our bodies, for unto, not in, but unto this hope we were saved. One of these days we're going to meet our Lord, and he's going to deal with sin in the flesh. Paul says in Philippians he's going to change our body of humiliation, this body that embarrasses us, to be like his glorious body. And then you don't have to worry about your eating problems, you don't have to worry about your obsessions, your habits, the sin that you inherited from your parents that you're carrying on, it's, it's going to give you a new body. It's like his body, and he's going to deal with sin right then and there. You won't have to worry about it ever again. That's what John means in his little book when he says, Beloved, you, you folks are the sons of God. That's what you are. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. In other words, you don't look like sons of God. But when he appears, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. I'm change you. It's going to give you a new body. Under that hope, we're saved. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we, uh, in the same breath, can say with the Apostle Paul, what wretched men and women we are. But at the same time, we can announce the good news that, that we have gained our victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask you to continue, uh, to continue to deal with us with the sin in our flesh and to enable us to overcome it. Uh, help us to realize in those times of failure that we are forgiven and that every moment is a fresh start. Help us to take sin seriously, but not to be overwhelmed by it, to go away loaded down with guilt. Help us to realize that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But we do want to make progress. And we do want to set our affections on things above. We want to put our minds on you and on your truth. And We know your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you're going to work to change us as we submit to that yoke. And then we look forward to the time when you're going to redeem our bodies. You're going to change us. 
Change these vile bodies of ours into bodies that are like yours, glorious, redeemed containers, vehicles for you throughout eternity. We look forward to that. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.